0: Organizations have a really hard time being able to make decisions, complex decisions, based on the information that they're getting from various different sources that they have in their organization. But to stitch this together into a cohesive view of what's happening right now or what's happened in the near past is really difficult. And in most cases, the decision makers are not from that domain to be able to make these decisions. And so they end up relying on other people and not having the full picture or not being able to participate in as meaningful a way as they probably want to.
1: You are listening to the Beyond Buildings podcast, where we talk to innovative leaders on how they create optimal value in a smart world context. We combine strategy and technology talk to absorb reality, embrace uncertainty, and to go from path dependency to path creation. It's smart cities, it's smart buildings, it's data strategies, it's construction, it's real estate and industry 4.0, and most of all, it's smart people. And remember, it's the data you don't have that will change your life. With your host, the future shaper, the ecosystem architect, Nicholas Wern. This episode is sponsored by Platform of Trust. I like Platform of Trust because it enables companies to create value from any type of data. Therefore... It saves time, money, and it's the perfect tool for companies who want to make data-driven decisions on data they can trust. They make it easy to collect, harmonize, and trust the data from different sources and basically any source that you want. And you don't need to hire 10 IT technicians or spend hundreds of thousands for a cloud platform because Platform of Trust can manage integrations and you'll see if something goes down in real time. Platform of Trust enables companies to take action based on the data that you can trust. Today, not tomorrow. This episode is one of the alpha podcast sessions for the Beyond Buildings podcast. I recorded this during the COVID coronavirus and I didn't have access to great tools or technology. But I wanted to record some of the great sessions I had when talking to interesting people in the smart city space. In this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast, we talk about digital twins with the great Ken Alling from Sakai. Ken does a buzzword breakdown of their digital twin perspective and what it means for their customers. We talk about how their software platform helps organizations create digital twins and the global need of getting away from so-called twin washing, and that the industry needs to be more concrete and get going with real use cases. We also discussed that a real digital twin allows companies to participate and collaborate between silos and disciplines with all of the data, not just discipline-specific, and that all of the data ingested in the digital twin should be accessible within milliseconds. Listen in and see what a digital twin might do for you. So my name is Ken Alling. I run a company called Sekai,
0: and we build software that allows large organizations to create digital twins. So digital twins are a a buzzword these days in the enterprise and the sort of asset-intensive industry. And so what we do is we put uh, real terms and real products to this buzzword of an idea or this kind of very large idea of what a digital twin is. And so we have a very opinionated platform. What does that mean? In other words, uh, we have a point of view as to what a digital twin is. It's not uh, anything and everything, and it's not (laughs) nothing, which is uh, one of the challenges that the industry has So Gardner has actually coined the term twin washing because there's so much dialogue around digital twins and so little content. So what we call a digital twin is a virtual asset of a physical one that has data that has been pulled in from various different sources, the traditional, which would be IoT, but also the non-traditional, which would be logistics, end of life, predictive, bill of materials, MES. Other types of process maintenance events, these kinds of things, yeah. to give a, a complete picture to an asset, and then yeah. put these assets together. Then a complete picture to a process, and then a complete picture to an entire operation. The benefit of or the goal of it is that organizations have a really hard time being able to make decisions, complex decisions, based on the information that they're getting from the various different sources that they have in their organization. So they yeah. have lots of KPIs and analytics etc but to stitch this together into a cohesive vision or cohesive view of what's happening right now or what's yeah. happened in the near past is really difficult it takes years of practice to be able to understand and do something with that information and in most cases the decision makers are not from that domain to be able to make these decisions and so they end up relying on other people and not having the full picture or not being able to participate in as
2: meaningful a way as they probably want to. Yeah, the situation you're describing, like every company in the world, I guess, especially large organizations. Right. Taking decisions based on yesterday's it's optimal last years or last decades, data based on silos, and yeah, I mean, everything that you just said. So Or no data.
0: In many yeah, cases, or no what data. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's true. The management, they will request some sort of uh, document based on analytics or based on some sort of uh, set of statistical data that the organization has. Yeah. And it'll be presented to them as a PDF or as a printed document. And they'll have to look through this document and try to evaluate a whole bunch of charts and graphs and very, very domain-specific KPIs. And from that abstract information, come to some sort of decision point where they can do something. The statistics say that very few organizations are able to do much with that information. Three years ago, there was a research project on what big data and analytics mean to large organizations Mm -hmm. and what they're able to actually do with it. And the results of that, this was in CIO Magazine, and I think it was Accenture. And um, the result of it was that 88% of management felt that big data and analytics were incredibly valuable and critical to their business, and it would make their organization more agile (laughs) more flexible faster time to market etc which is true but then when the question was turned around and it said is your big data and analytics systems making you more agile faster time to market more flexible (laughs) more profitable only four percent of organizations or four percent of management responded yes to that that's incredible
2: i was laughing because i knew where it was headed right because all the big organizations either work for or work with or talk to or whatever is saying the same thing. It doesn't really work. I mean, all the whole big data, like data lake, data swamp thing, silo data, Mm. different metadata taggings, as in, like you can't really compare them to each other because you don't really have a way of doing it. All of these kind of things definitely make sense. So I think like this is pretty fluffy still, right? I understand what you're saying more or less at least and maybe our listeners do as well but let's take something concrete so we started talking three years ago i think you were talking about like ux a lot then user experience yeah it, i think you had like the iron man like screen oh yeah, the hard display, right, loop, right? right like the hot display uh, it's just like making things more complicated right i think that's also so like what we're talking about here yeah you have all this data but you have no real way of making it simpler for easier yeah so when you look at these statistics the 88 percent versus
0: four percent yeah oftentimes what comes to pass is there's a dialogue about the problems of technology and this kind of dialogue is what has led to all of these different systems running yeah, independent yeah. of one another yeah, yeah absolutely so we have this organizations that are suffering under technology debt or technical debt And so they have a hard time stitching this information together. So the the problem isn't the technology. The the technology is fantastic in most cases. It does wonderful things. It's how that technology is brought together and presented in a way that all the different stakeholders, all the different participants inside organizations can use that information and make a decision based on that information. So this is kind of where our starting point has been, which is not to try and reinvent how analytics or data is handled inside of these organizations. It's designed around how to take the existing data and make it more powerful, make it more meaningful and make it more useful by way of making it more realistic and making it more human-friendly. So in some ways, it has to do with interface visualization yeah. but that's only the first part of the conversation. So before you can actually visualize this information, you have to do what you talked about earlier, which is you have to get these disparate data sources, you have to get these silos to come together so
2: that there's this common view of how you look at these different pieces of data. Yeah. Okay. So how is it useful, meaningful, in a simple way through a digital twin mindset? That's maybe what uh, Sakai is all about. And I also remember our first, conversation. So I I was listening to Ken. I think I was actually late 30 minutes. I didn't get the whole talk. Then we talked a little bit afterwards. You were running off somewhere. I wanted to stay and talk, but you didn't want to talk to me. And it was about the whole digital twin for the whole supply chain as well. Yeah. So today, two topics, I guess, is one, virtual power plants, That's what I want to talk a little bit about. I don't know too much about it. So maybe it's going to be not a great discussion. We'll see. And the other one is maybe more interesting. Again, using Digital Twin as the entire life cycle. So I actually have a potential customer right now. So they want to build its four hotels and a couple of apartment complexes. They've been in the prefabrication space for the last 12 years. They got like orders for like $5 million. I think was last year or two years ago this year i think it's 200 million dollars and they sort of like co-own their own factory they have a really sort of like good control of their own supply chain they have like these boundaries where there is a monopoly so they have to sort of like source it from somewhere else in order to get actually oil. right so that's why they sort of like have a stake in a factory and a country that is that's sort of in the vicinity right so if you look at it from that perspective, because okay, so you have a factory and of course, like you can do a lot of industry 4.0 initiatives and sort of like making the factory run better. I mean, running a digital twin on that factory alone, right? You have
0: yeah. IoT,
2: mm-hmm. you have wireless sensors, you have the production lines, you couple that with building automation systems and you can predict blah, 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 and ensure uptime and do a lot of savings, run stuff more efficiently. And of course, cause like, analysis. Uh, yeah, platform. and have like uptime uh, so that you know Schedules are like okay. This is when the factory is going to go down, and you don't have that happen. What is not going to happen, right? Or what you don't yeah. want. It. So I think like that's one thing. But then you have like the classic, I would say, digital twin. So you have a factory that produces all the materials that's going to go into the building, and then hmm. you have like the supply chain, getting it from the factory to the actual site, I guess. And then of course you have to spec it. But you also have like okay, it's now out on site. All Of the material in some way, shape, or form, it's going to have like it's going to be there, or whatever. And then you have like building information models, of course, during the construction process, which is sort of like the built environment's definition of what a digital twin is today, I guess. You know, hmm. like you have building information models, you have like IFC stuff, you have Revit, you have CAD, AutoCAD, all these kind of things that sort of like make up. Oh, don't forget twin. you have lots and lots of 2D drawings as well. Yeah, plus drawings, of course. So the customer, it's called Synca Group, they've specialized historically in BIM coordination or digital coordination or digital something, which they're doing today, right? But mm-hmm. they're also seeing like, okay, the digital twin as a historical piece of information or as a database is something that's only being used in the construction phase, but then it's not being used in the asset management phase. So that's also like the next transition. So you have a digital twin where you make it easier or hopefully make it better and run more efficient in constructing the building. So, But that digital twin doesn't get used during the asset management
0: phase. This kind of uh, segregation is the case in almost all industries. You can segregate it into more sort of granular subgroups where you can break it up from not just the design versus implementation versus yeah. operations versus decommissioning. You can also break it up based on general operations, bill of materials, finance, all these ways. So there's loads of these kind of silo divisions. And when we have this kind of a dialogue, what's really important to keep focus on is what the value proposition is. So to narrow it down based on this kind of broad umbrella so that you can see where the value propositions lie, uh, even with the single digital twin investment is where it really shines. So if you're looking at logistics, in the case of getting assets onto the job site and and scheduling people in the same way that you would have this getting assets or getting materials into a factory, you want to reduce the amount of risk involved in getting an asset onto that job site so that there is uh, as little downtime as possible. So this, for job site planning, this is a critical, critical component. And when you're dealing with um, high-value assets or high-consequent assets in manufacturing, it's the same issue. And so if you can use your historic logistics data to do risk modeling so that you can early on forecast where the high-risk assets are going to be, then you can now use that to make a decision to mitigate those risks and you see this as one of the early use cases for digital twins, where you find the high risk asset, something that's actually gonna shut down a production or it's gonna shut down a job site. Let's say for example, you're on a job site and you have a, a critical asset, a large, like uh, heavy asset. This has happened to me in the past when I worked on job sites, where the asset has showed up on the job site and the crane is there, but the forklift isn't there. The forklift that's big enough to lift that asset hasn't been scheduled onto the job site correctly. And so you end up with a crane that you can't really move and an asset that can't get close enough to the crane to get lifted. And so the job site essentially shuts down. The same is the case in a factory. When you're dealing with a complex asset, especially if you're, if you're doing discrete manufacturing and you're doing something like welding or resin or something like that, and an asset comes defective, then that can shut down an entire factory for X amount of time. So if you can use your digital twin to forecast those risks, mitigate them before they actually get onto the job site or get onto the factory floor, then you're talking about the ability to reduce downtime by in a year, days, maybe even weeks, depending on the level of impact. Yeah. So that's where the value proposition is just for the logistics side of things. When you get into the operations, then it becomes a different issue or a different set of value propositions. And then when you're talking about the built environment and being able to do regulations or quality assurance or these kinds of things using BIM or using CAD, then you have, again, another set of value propositions. The real magic of the digital twin is that, yes, we're talking about different domains and we're talking about different value propositions, but we're talking about the same software investment. And that's a very, very critical thing to understand. Traditionally, what we've done is we've purchased software for each one of these highly specialized areas, and then we've spent years trying to stitch them together. So the digital twin, because it starts with this idea of being able to look at the whole picture, it means that you can still solve a very specific high-value use case, but as soon as you finish that, you can move on and expand the scope of the digital twin to deal with many other use cases.
2: Fantastic. I think, like, I agree. I was about to disagree with you there in the beginning, actually, because I think, like, and I still do to some extent, at least. I mean, it's not that I don't agree with so, like the overall idea of the digital twin. So, again, like, you have it in like the whole life cycle, I mean, from start to finish. So, you create yeah. the digital twin once, and then you don't really have to create it anymore, right? You just work with that digital twin. You for expand upon it. And, yeah, yeah, exactly. So, you add you layers have, to it. Exactly, exactly. So, but the thing like one of the problems that I'm seeing is that because no one really owns everything, as in there's no really a construction company that goes to asset management or they don't really maybe have a control of their whole supply chain or owners as buildings, they don't own everything. So they're just like, again, like siloed. So just looking at it at times from a specific use case, and if it's done... I mean, not in a fantastic way, I guess, then it's difficult to make the argument because there's no ROI, right? Because you're just looking at a silo-specific thing.
0: Because you know that it can have impact across the whole organization, you yeah. want to be very opportunistic. And what you want to do is you want to look at your organization and how the digital twin can impact it. And you want to pick then, as your first line of attack, the most impactful financially use case for the digital twin. It doesn't matter where it is in the organization. You find one that is going to actually either add to your bottom line or save you money. And then you focus on that as your
2: starting point. Yeah, absolutely. And I think like that has to be in a roadmap. Okay, so these are the first two things that we're going to do and have an understanding of, like again, like the digital twin, that what are the benefits in the next five years? I love what you said, because I've never heard it in the way that you put it before, like trying to make differences and talk to each other, or just like, this is the base for everything and then just, yeah, again, like half layers, right? But I think one yeah. of the biggest problems is as well, like you and I, and especially you, I guess, have been talking about this for quite a long time. And it's usually, unfortunately, I guess, a technical discussion at times, because a lot of the people are interested in this stuff, are not necessarily the ones uh, sort of making the decisions. Because again, a yeah. in general industry problem that you talk about technology and if you're talking about the benefits, you're not really understanding the benefits because you're not talking to the right person who makes decisions. For me, who understands at a little bit of what digital twin means, I think it's the future. There's nothing else. There is a digital twin future. And there's nothing else really that works. Uh, whether that's based on Sakai or something else, I don't know hopefully Sakai, <laughs> but I mean like, I think you need to put everything in a perspective of digital twins, that's what I believe.
0: It's a very good point because on a very high level, what the prime thing you're trying to solve, you're to solve the communication problem. Yeah, where the technology people and the project management people and the finance people and the managers and the engineers can have a common language yeah, to, be yeah, able yeah. to communicate and discuss and come to decisions. Well, today, the finance people have their spreadsheets, engineers mm-hmm. have their very technical documents and drawings, and uh, project well, managers
2: have their game charts. Yeah. No, I got a great analogy for this. I've been thinking about this analogy for like years, but I haven't really said it to anyone. So I'm going to try it out with you, right? So you know okay. Plato, the philosopher, right? Yeah. So he had this uh, cave analogy. Yeah, Plato's cave, sure. And this is my take on it. So what he's saying there in this cave analogy is like, I mean, we're all living in caves and we have sort of like our own version of, of course, uh, how life is and we have built that it's, that's historical context, all these kind of things, right? And mm. the only thing that we see when we're sitting in this cave, we see the fire in the middle and then we see like these uh, shadows on the wall. It's not the same picture that we're seeing. We're all seeing different things and interpreted yeah. interpret it differently and it means different things for us. It's basically like Rorschach tests uh, depicting on the walls uh, continuously, I guess. We see different these kind of things, right? And for me, that's been really interesting. My picture is like, like, instead of sitting there around the fire and not really having an idea or at least uh, the same idea, why don't we just have something where we agree on a shared idea, on a base set of definitions or whatever, and then we can join hands and take so, like, steps outside that cave because we have like a common source or a one truth to stand on. That's for me mm. what the digital twin is. Again, like it's just like a common language yeah. that you agree on, and that in itself can form like, okay, this is going to be the base that we sort of like use for everything that we do in the future.
0: The base cannot be an opinion. The base has to be a physical asset that everybody cannot dispute.
2: So, yeah, physical one of the challenges. What do you mean
0: you, physical, like a cup, a car, a factory production
2: line, a bottle, a plane, yeah. I mean, I mean a for ship. me, it's more. It's not physical. In a sense, because again, if you're looking at the supply chain or if you're looking at something that is more virtual in the sense of physical, I can touch it or I can whatever. No, the it's supply has, chain is very physical.
0: physical. <laughs> yeah. You have ships and ports. And, no, because it's very important yeah. that you start from a point that is a common understanding or yeah, a common yeah, agreement. Yeah, yeah. agreement. Yeah, absolutely. Otherwise, you'll put yourself into the same position they're in right now. Absolutely. You might have a, a situation where a department has created a fantastic tool for their use cases. Yeah. But as soon as a different department needs to use it and has a different opinion about it, they can't because they're not starting from that common understanding. Yeah, and so back to your sort of cave analogy, yes, everybody is going to see different shadows on the walls because of their perspective and their background and their yeah. level of creativity. But as a digital twin, we're not interested in the shadows. We're not interested in any of that. We're interested in creating the cave and creating the fire and making the shadows as accurate as possible and allowing each of those different individuals to see what they want to see in it. That's what's so powerful about humans. We can look at these different things based on our backgrounds and we can come to different conclusions, which makes for exciting and meaningful dialogues. And that's what you want with the management and the engineer are going to come to it from different backgrounds. As long as the starting point that they have is something that they agree upon. shared upon. upon.
2: Yeah, shared upon. They agree upon the starting point.
1: Well, agreed upon...
2: And shared upon. Again, like even if it's agreed upon and then someone goes, ah, I'm not going to use this shit. <laughs> I'm going to use right. something else, right? Sure. So for me, it's everything that you said, but it's not physical. It's definitely not physical, but it, it's something that it definitely has to be agreed upon. And that's where you have to use as a base for everything. And it has to be tied to that. I mean, I was at global cars for six months and then worked with mass State management, right? And... Mm-hmm you had to try to throw technology at a problem where you didn't even know what data quality meant. Like there was no definition of what data quality meant whatsoever. So you have to have like a shared, okay, this is what we mean with data quality. How we measure it, this is what it means for the whole organization. Not just for marketing, not just for whatever, 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 but it has to be something that is again, like agreed upon. Anyways, this is too nerdy. Uh, let, let's go back to sort of like, okay, we have a factory, we have a supply chain then, and then we have a building. So this customer came to me, or potential customer at least, he came to me and asked, okay, uh, I'm doing this. I'm coming from pre-press space. I want to build smart from smart. My technical, or I have gotten like technical advice in putting in like Alibaba IoT product in this Radisson hotel or in this apartment complex yeah. and then just tying it together, right? And then five <laughs> IT engineers on site at all times in a couple of rooms, he's probably needed to do, well, upkeep, uh, integrations, uh, new stuff, uh, all these kind of things, right? So he, he reached out to me and said, okay, good at this stuff that you do. Or he should have said I was the best. So i got to do something here. So that's why I'm talking to you because I know that you are the best. So how do we do this? What is the outcome then? So they want to see that they are sort of like doing the Tesla way, right? So they're right. building a digital product. So again, when I say that what's the difference between Tesla and maybe Volkswagen or someone else is that they started with software. It's a software driven company. Right. And then they had like some hardware around it, right? It's basically right. the same thing when you say, like, okay, bags today are turning more into like software companies that happen to deal with money, or new right, like, right. retailers are uh, software companies that happen to deal with shoes or whatever. And they want exactly. to become a software company that happens to deal with the construction as well as asset management. Because right. this is the beautiful thing. Because if you build smart from the start, you sort of eradicate the whole building automation perspective in the sense that if I create a self driving building, I mean, I don't need to have that much people on site. Everything can be done remote, probably. Yeah. Most remote yeah. the of the stuff, they can actually take a different value proposition or they can take like a different position in the market. They can become faster in terms of, okay, we're going to own the whole supply chain. That is one thing with a digital twin perspective and it's going to make them leaner meaner and more efficient as well but it also yeah. means if you include sort of like okay what's going to happen after we constructed this building well then the building automation people they are last to the job they try to do something sure. to do work sure. and the building in itself when it's sort of alive is broken from the get-go and that's will change because again you have like the digital twin base as the platform for everything Like start, finish, well, everything. And then again, you have the layers. So, one of the layers that I've been focusing on, like the last five years, is building automation, IoT, hardware, cloud, uh, like a cognitive building for building automation perspective. So, I feel like if they build that into the digital print perspective and they build a building with that intelligence, like their job of maintaining that asset is going to be like nothing because they build it so smart. So, it's a natural way for them also to be. So like the, the yeah, asset the for people. becomes
0: a high efficient yeah. asset, right? Yeah, yeah,
2: exactly. So they can actually deliver a digital product for their customers. And then you say, okay, here's a digital product. Do you want it to be a hotel? Do you want it to be a hospital? Do you want it to be this, this, and this? And what kind of name do you want on it, right? We'll take care mm-hmm. of it. It's more like building as a service, not smart building as a service. It's just like the whole real estate as a service more or less. Yeah. So, so yeah. that's what the customer wants to do. And then it goes back to finding, I think, these low hanging fruits and not going like, we're gonna do like the complete digital twin from the get go, because that's really challenging and definitely impossible. So I think like finding those uh, low hanging fruits, and so like, what is the next step from where we are today in the different disciplines? And that's what it's important. So you get like all the data from all of these kind of, well, disciplines that are working in the industries today. And that's where like, it's going kind to of pull it down to the digital twin, in my perspective. Like this. Yeah, that is the promise. So that
0: is a sort of the way forward in regards to doing it. We have a bit of a different method for yeah. coming at it because we don't work with, we support, but we don't work with the actual creation of the systems. Yeah. So these systems already, in most cases, they already exist. In most cases, organizations have their technical debt in place. Yeah, And they have all their frameworks and their systems. It's their silos. And so with Sekai, what we started with, the base assumption was that it is a, a massively varied IT landscape. Yeah. So we don't have this kind of, okay, it should be this and it has to be this and we have to use this protocol and we do this over. What we've said is we need to create a platform that can embrace the variation or legacy or whatever you want to call it in yeah. these organizations. So if you're creating a building, very, very rarely are you going to be able to get the entire building system delivered by a single vendor under one single set of protocols under one sort of omni-unifying architecture. Yeah, And so you can pick the equipment you need based on the quality that you're looking for, and then you can stitch it together and use the digital twin as your kind of umbrella or as your glue yeah. to be able to do the overall for all operations so we don't I have mean, any any prerequisites around
2: exactly what it exactly. is you're going to do yeah for me it's more uh, it's not more but i mean and thanks for telling me sorry it's like a bowl it's like you digital twin bowl that you put everything in so and then it's like it yeah. comes in and then you pick up a, a ball in that bowl some exercise here yeah. they can see whatever they want to see but it's still in that bowl mm-hmm. that's, i think like that that's mm-hmm. the difference right it's not exactly what you mean. There's a company that I work with, shout out to Platform of Trust. So they basically yeah. coming at it with exactly, or a little similar approach, I guess. So again, like taking all different data sources in a business-oriented way. And one of the biggest problems for asset managers, or basically everyone, is one, finding the data, right? Finding the information or creating the data. And then it's two, at least for technical asset management, it's validating that data. Can we Can we trust this data? Where is it coming from? Is it old data? Does it actually make sense? Is it is it valid anymore? Right. So their solution just works with, so like again, like indexing the data, self-service tools of tying that data together and then forming an API so that someone else can more or less make sense of it. So I think- Right, and that's kind of what we do. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think like with everything, there's an overlap. There's no solution that can do everything. So I really love what you said in the beginning that you actually have, and opinionate the digital twin because what that means for me is that you know where you stop and start like i was saying before we have the
0: physical world the built world which is an absolute no one is going to have a dialogue about the fact that there is a building there yeah yeah, yeah. well what it means to have confidence in your data will change constantly over the future so it's going to continuously evolve and so we make a clear distinction between Things that are absolute, which is the area that we want to focus on, and things that are opinions. So analytics, KPIs, predictive, all of this kind of stuff, and, and content, data ah, confidence levels. Okay, 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 okay. So Perfect. these are all elements that are going to evolve over time. And so rather than try and create something that becomes a snapshot in time, yeah. we want to create something that the primary focus is to get the whole world correct and accurate, and then embrace these different technologies and allow the organizations and allow the operations to evolve over one, two, three, four, five, ten 10 years and add new technologies and change their opinions about what the KPIs are going to be, etc. So yeah. we're flexible in regards to the opinions or the analytics and we're inflexible in regards to the physical world because it's something that we can put a line in the sand and say, this is an absolute. We know yeah, 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 that this physical for, asset exists somewhere in space. Okay, it weighs this much. It's this many colors. It you know has this, so, so this generates back this much power.
2: To your philosophy of what Sakai does in the landscape of digital twins, then. It's the physical. Yeah. It's the concrete. That's the thing. Right. So when that's I that's the foundation from which yeah, we yeah, build yeah. one. So, so when I'm looking at it, and it's not contradicting what you're saying. It's just that you made a focus, right? For me, when a digital twin is basically everything that goes on but you're doing it in a digital twin way, right? So, and I think like your idea or you're doing your company, of course, I think it's phenomenal. You already know that. But I think it's definitely needed in order to, again, like stand on the shoulders of giants. But it's more, again, like you have to have a foundation to build the future on. And when that foundation is moving all the time, it's extremely difficult, if not impossible to do that. It creates anxiety. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it doesn't work. I mean, Yeah, what you want to do is you want to make decisions.
0: Yeah. And if you have anxiety in the data that you're looking at, it's going to make it very difficult for you to make a decision based on that. So then it
2: becomes a catalyst for indecision. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So what's missing then? Is there anything missing? Why isn't everyone doing this today?
0: I think the biggest challenge right now is basically two things. One, digital twins are still in their infancy. And lots of people are talking about them and very few people are, are demonstrating what they actually are. And two, you don't really have a lot of super compelling use cases because of this infancy. So organizations are being risk-diverse to sort of jump in. So they're uh, still testing the waters and trying to figure out, think of it this way, when you tell an organization, yes, this digital twin can show you everything about your organization, they're going to be very, very skeptical and they should be. Uh, In the same way though, if somebody 15 years ago or 10 years ago said, there's this website that is going to control or manage every aspect of your life as Facebook does, uh, no one would believe you, right? So we need to take it step by step and we need to demonstrate each of these use cases and value propositions in order to be able to get to the point where we can say, okay, here's a complete holistic digital twin that covers all aspects of the business. And only when we start to get several of these stitched together will people start to really understand where the power of the digital twin comes into play.
2: Cool. So, immature industry, everyone is afraid of doing stuff. We need more concrete use cases and just telling about the wins that we have and the, the stuff that we're doing. So I think, like, this podcast is a well, an attempt at least to drive more information to the ones who are thinking about digital twins in general. And yeah, I think, I think this we, is a good arena for being able to try to get rid of, get away from
0: this idea of twin washing. And yeah. So get yeah, away absolutely. from a lot of this fluffy language and become very, very concrete.
2: Yeah, exactly. So I think, like, again, like you have to have the vision. And so I would just like to summarize it's a bit of a paradox because, yes, maybe you have to start in a silo or with a very concrete use case that's pretty small and tangible with uh, ROIs and all this kind of necessary stuff because the decision makers need it. Uh, they can't really bet on something because they're used to, I mean, weighing all the decisions in the same way. So you have the CEO and the CFO, right? you have hmm. to speak their language with something and then they probably won't touch it because it's it's not proven so they won't touch it again then gets just talking proof of concept so anyway so the paradox is yes you have to start small but you have to think big as in like future like perpetual hmm. almost i think that's really really scary and maybe like digital twin companies are yeah they just say okay we're gonna start with the whole digital twin but it's more like okay the end result is the whole digital twin. And the first step is putting the first ball in that bowl. And the second ball, whatever it is, is going to go into that bowl as well. So I think like, just creating that roadmap is definitely needed. How can people
0: learn? uh You can send an email to ko at sekai, S-E-K-A-I dot I-O. You can find me on LinkedIn easily, Ken Olling, K-E-N-O-L-L-I-N-G. Okay, thanks, Ken. I really appreciate it. Uh, Let's see see you later, Nicholas. Take care. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Beyond Buildings podcast. And also a big thank you to our sponsor, Platform of Trust. For those of you who want to collect, harmonize, and trust data from anywhere in the world and make sense of it in a much, much faster way than ever before. Thank you.